0: I wish I could say it's great to be together, but the truth is, I miss you guys, and I can't wait till we're together again after COVID, but, you know, for right now, this is how we're rocking it. I'm going to go ahead and jump in as we continue on the Kingdom series, and so what, um, what we're going to be doing is, two weeks ago, we really focused in on, uh, you know, the inauguration of the Kingdom. Jeff talked about that, and then last week, Ed Anton talked for us about identity today, we're gonna be focusing on allegiance, allegiance to the kingdom. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be allegiance to the kingdom? Well, every kingdom has a king. And a kingdom cannot be a kingdom without a king. And so, right off the bat, if you are gonna be allegiance to the king, well, what it really means is you're gonna to be, to, if you're allegiance to the kingdom, you're allegiance to the king. Now, with Jesus, we know we have a king in the kingdom of God. And if you've ever asked yourselves, hey, Jesus Christ, is Christ Jesus' last name? It's not, right? Christ means Christos. And the word Christos comes from, or means the anointed one or the anointed king. So, in fact, every time that we say Jesus Christ, we are making a statement that Jesus is king or Jesus the king. And to reiterate, as we're going through a Kingdom of God series, the Kingdom of God is everyone and everything that submits to the rule and reign of Jesus, of King Jesus. And so right off the bat, we're talking about allegiance. It is, man, everyone and everything. And now the church is a part of that, but by no means is the church all of the Kingdom of God. But it's everyone and everything that's allegiant and has submitted to the rule and reign of King Jesus. But we know that the kingdom of God isn't the only kingdom in this world. You know, even, even Satan, right? In Matthew chapter four, when he comes to tempt Jesus, he takes Jesus to the top of a mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of this world and says, I'll give you these if you bow down to me. We know that there's these other kingdoms or there's these other empires and we have empire, the empires are the man-made kingdoms of this world against the kingdom of God and they are forever at war with one another. And no, it's not a real, literal war, but it's a war of attrition over our hearts. And it's a war of attrition over the loyalties and allegiances of our hearts. So if we're going to jump into the, the Roman Empire, though, into the first, because every Christian in the Bible was a part of this Roman Empire in the first century. So if we were to jump into that and look at what was the kingdom of the time, the, the man-made kingdom or empire of the time, do they have a king? They do, and it's not Jesus. His name was Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And he was known by a few things. They actually referred to him as the son of God. They would call him Lord or they would, they would call him the divine one or the August one. And those have strangely biblical references. But it puts us some just into that world. And I've been reading a book called uh, Escaping the Beast by Michael Burns. And um, Michael Burns came here. Uh, back in January and did a, a workshop for us. And I love Michael Burns. He's one of our brothers. And uh, he's a kingdom teacher. He's written a book on kingdom and race, kingdom and culture. And then he just came out with this book, Escaping the Beast. It's about kingdom, allegiance, and politics. And so, man, he just dives in to say the kingdom has to trump everything. And I want to read a quote from here to, for us to understand the empire of Rome or the kingdom of Rome. Allegiance to Caesar was demanded and expected. Cities or nations that wavered in their allegiance would soon find themselves on the ground with the inescapable boots of Rome pressing down against their windpipe. Yes, every knee would bow, either willingly and appreciatively or at the business end of a sword. There was one thing that was clear in the world of Roman Empire. Caesar was Lord And to question that was to put your life in great peril. Yes, there was another empire waging war against the hearts of the disciples in the first century. But as soon as Jesus shows up in his first lesson in the Sermon on the Mount, man, he he, he wants to make it clear. And he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve. It is impossible to serve God and money. And that word master there, it's the Greek word kiros, which is the same word translated as Lord. So Jesus saying, you can't have two lords. Yeah, you can have two friends, two acquaintances, two teachers, but you can't have two lords. And he immediately, when he's coming on the scene, steps up as a rival to the emperor of Rome, to Caesar, to say, you got to choose. Are you going to be legion to me as Lord? Are you going to be allegiant to Caesar as Lord? So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to look at two examples biblically of where we see this, this rival, this contest between empires and kingdoms and allegiance come into play. This first one, if you want to flip in your Bible, to Romans chapter 10. This first one is one of the most dangerous, risky, and radical scriptures in the New Testament when it comes to allegiance to the kingdom of God. Let's read it. In Romans 10, in verse 9, we know the verse, actually. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When I've been recording videos, I can edit out me drinking. Now I can't. You have to watch me. Sorry. But... This is interesting because you immediately go, wait, Jordan, what do you mean? Dangerous scripture, radical scripture, like what, what do you mean by that? And so, because today, in our context, this kind of looks kind of ordinary. We see it all the time. First of all, it's taken out of context so drastically in modern Christianity. Paul is right in the thick of an argument, right there in verse 13. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. He's saying, that he's, he's, bring, he's making this giant point that Jew and Gentile can both enter the kingdom of God through belief, repentance, and baptism. But how else do we usually see this scripture? Usually in modern Christianity, somebody makes this proclamation on a Sunday morning and that's supposed to give them a salvation experience. And then later that week, they go back to doing everything that they used to do deep in sin and nothing's changed. And this idea of declaring with your mouth for a salvation experience has become a a fake lip service that really doesn't mean anything. Is that what Paul really meant when he first said this? Let's look at it one more time. Why does Paul use this language? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. That's very interesting language. In fact, there's no other place in the New Testament that uses that that language, declare or confess with your mouth. Three other times, the good confession is referenced, but never like this. And why is he making this distinction between your mouth and your heart? Actually, no other place in the New Testament does it really put a focus on believing in your heart. It's just a faith or belief, not necessarily in your heart. Why, is he, why does he call it out like that? Well, remember, in Rome, Jesus wasn't Lord. Caesar is Lord. In fact, in Rome, proclaiming Jesus is Lord was a death sentence. It was literally, it was treason. It was treachery to the emperor Caesar. And so, man, in in proclaiming that uh, Caesar was Lord was a way to say, man, Rome, I have Rome's best interests in heart. I am loyal to Rome. And so if you were a a born again disciple, remember he's writing to the church in Rome, the city where the throne of Caesar sits. And if you're a born again disciple in Rome and you get into an altercation on the street or something happens to you or you're a bystander and, and there happens to be a Roman guard, and their guard has a sword. Don't worry, my sword is social distance and has a mask, okay? But there happens to be a guard. And he sees that, and he, and he says, you know, well, identification. Prove that you're a Roman citizen. And, and a lot of people usually don't have that, and so you might not have it in your pockets or whatever. And, and they say, hey, that's okay. Just confess with your mouth that Caesar is Lord, And if you were a born-again disciple, because that guard is just making sure you're on Rome's side and that you weren't a traitor or that you were fully in on Rome. And so they just wanted to hear you say it. That was a common thing. And so if you're a born-again disciple, though, you would hesitate. Uh, uh, Well, and then the guard suddenly focuses in. Did you hear what I said? Declare with your mouth that Caesar is Lord. And then, as a born again disciple, well, I mean, is that really that big of a deal, man? I have Romans interests in hearts, and suddenly the guard takes out his sword. Did you confess with your mouth? And in that moment, because declaring anyone else was Lord except Caesar was treason, he could kill you or arrest you on the spot, take you to the Colosseum, or do something worse. And he has the sword up to your mouth, or he might have it sticking at your heart. If you're a born again disciple. What's gonna, what are you going to be tempted with in that moment? What you're going to be tempted with is you're going to think, well, I know I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. Is it really that big of a deal if I proclaim with my mouth Caesar is Lord? And you're going to get tempted with that. And man, in this verse in Romans 10, Paul says, no, you cannot do that. Do not recant. Even in the face of death, you better hold to your allegiance that Jesus is Lord. You made a confession and a statement that lasted for a lifetime. Even if it's just saying with your mouth, no, there can be no compromise between your heart and your mouth. But, but in that moment, when you're tempted, man, you can think, but look, this will, if I say Caesar is Lord, it will save me and I will not die. But Paul, just look at his language. Paul says, no, 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 no. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You trust Jesus. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. You trust Jesus to save you. Not any human man-made empire. Well, with all these people around me, I mean, there's bystanders. Maybe my family or my friends are there. I would be ashamed. It would be to my shame if I got arrested in front of them. Look at Paul's language. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Why does he say that he's talking to a specific instance that could happen to the disciples in Rome? And he says, man, remember this, even when it looks like everything is falling apart, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. If you're new to the kingdom and you're new to allegiance, this kind of seems crazy, but man, let me tell you, it's worth it. Having the God of all creation take care of you is so much better than having any man-made empire take care of you. And why does Paul say this? Because kingdom is a true alternative to Caesar is Lord. It's a true alternative. It's not, no, with my mouth I profess one thing, and my heart I say something. No, 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 It is an alternative way of being. Kingdom is a true alternative to Caesar is Lord. So let's look at another um, example, though. Let's go now back to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And here I want to look at two uh, Two disciples that their allegiance to King Jesus as Lord united in them a way that they never could have without King Jesus. So Matthew 10, in verse one, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And we've talked about this before, but, right, we have family ties that are mentioned. That was very normal to do. But out of all 12 apostles, only one of them is their trade or their job mentioned. Matthew, the tax collector. And then while they all come from different worldviews and ideologies, or they all come from different groups, only one group that they come from is mentioned. Simon the zealot. Why is that? Matthew was trying to prove a point that tax collectors and zealots were mortal enemies. And I'll just time out for a second. This picture, you know, that you guys are looking at in the background, that is Matthew the tax collector in his tax collector booth in the new TV show, The Chosen, and The the Chosen is the first uh, multi-season show about the life of Jesus. Usually, Jesus shows are so corny. This one is amazing, and if you haven't seen it yet, you're welcome. It's free. Okay, we'll keep going. But tax collectors and zealots were mortal enemies. Why? Well, just as a refresher, right? Tax collectors were Jews that had given their allegiance so much to Rome that then they turned to their fellow Jews, took their money as taxes, and gave it to the Jews, They were uh, betrayers to to, to the Jewish nation. Now, that's tax collector. And then you have zealots. Zealots, their allegiance was so much to the Jewish people that they hated Rome for taking over the Jewish people. And they were radical nationalists. To the point of military action, they would fight against the Romans. They would kill the Roman guards for what they were doing to the Jewish people. Now, but even for a zealot, a Roman guard or soldier wasn't their most hated person on earth because they expected that from a Roman. The most hated person on earth for zealots was the tax collector, because the tax collector were Jews that had betrayed their nation. They were mortal enemies. And yet for the three years that we have them together, we see no argument, we see no fight, and Simon didn't kill Matthew. How did Jesus do that? Another quote from Michael Burns' book, Escaping the Beast. Matthew notes that Simon was a zealot, and Matthew, a tax collector, not to demonstrate that these two political enemies were able to set aside their differences and still follow Jesus. He included those labels to display what they had given up to follow Jesus. He wanted to show that people of vastly different backgrounds were laying down their previous identities and making Jesus their king. They did not have two masters They had won. When they followed Jesus, they were tax collector and zealot no more. They were disciples of the king. I love this. I love this. That Matthew, tax collector, and Simon the Zealot, they had given up every their allegiance to King Jesus was truly. A, an alternative kingdom is a true alternative to Roman Israel. They didn't just act and, and, and then keep their, keep their different, their opinions, keep their true loyalties to their original ideologies because that would have created division. No, they let them go in the, in comparison, compared to their allegiance to King Jesus kingdom is a true alternative to Roman Israel. And I want to take a step deeper though, into this uh, example of Matthew and Simon because not only were you know, the tax collector and the zealot, not only was that a trade or a group or an ideology, it was also deeply political. And so for a minute, I actually wanna talk about kingdom and politics. And no, we usually don't talk much about politics from this stage, because this stage is not a political platform. It is a platform for Jesus. But at the same time, uh, politics does affect our discipleship, and so I want to give some spiritual direction, and I want to minister to your discipleship when it connects to kingdom. And as I talk about this, if if it seems like I am supporting a specific political party, I, I want to let you know that's only because of my deficiencies of a speaker, because that is not my intent. My intent right now is to preach loyalty to Jesus, not loyalty to any political party. But let's start with loyalties. How loyal are you to your political party? If we were to compare your loyalties to the Democratic party or the Republican party, compared to your loyalty to King Jesus, where would it line up? Or if you were to look at your loyalties to um, Trump or to Biden, Compare it to your loyalty to King Jesus. How would it measure up? And before you just say, well, of course it's Jesus. And man, I'm a Christian. I was a disciple. I remember when I was born again. And before it's kind of like, bless you, sneeze. You know, like before you just spit that out because that's the right answer. I want you to pause. I want you to think and truly evaluate your heart. Not to find condemnation or judgment, but because all of us deeply care about King Jesus. And we need to be willing to dig through our hearts together. So let me ask you some questions on kingdom and politics. Who do you trust to take care of your family more? A political party or the kingdom of God? What makes you more happy? Seeing your party gain presidency or knowing King Jesus sits on the throne? What angers or breaks your heart more? when you see your party lose a debate or lose a law, or when you see God's kingdom not being lived out. We have to really evaluate. And, and if you are, are, are someone that's allegiant to King Jesus, not only you have to test your heart, you got to think about what you're showing to the world. Let me ask you this. If you were to look at your social media account for the past two months, could people what loyalty would people see on your page? Because some of us, we spend more time passionately persuading men to our political kingdom more than we spend time on our social media account passionately persuading men to the kingdom of God. And I think you've got to evaluate in your heart, why is that? Why Why is your loyalty and your passion spent there on politics more than on kingdom? And the truth is, guys... I am worried. I'm worried. And what I'm worried about is over the next several months, our nation is going to split over the election. And what I'm worried about is will we stay united in the kingdom of God? I'm worried that some of us have compromised in our loyalty to Jesus. And, and, and maybe it's not on recanting Jesus, but it is adding something else, where we try to still stay loyal to King Jesus and stay loyal to a political party at the same time. And that breaks my heart. And what am I not saying? I'm not saying that we're not going to have opinions and thoughts, because we will. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be engaged, because we have to know what's going on in this world to change it. And on the flip side of that, what am I not saying? I'm not saying that with all these strong opinions, we should only talk about it with people that believe the same thing as us in the echo chamber of getting worse and worse and worse. I'm not saying that either, because if we do that, then Satan no longer becomes our enemy. And the group from one political party in church starts to think the enemy is not Satan, but it's the other disciples that are from a different political party. And suddenly Satan has won. So what, I am, what am I saying, though? What I am saying is that our allegiance to King Jesus should be so overwhelming that our political opinion should fail in comparison, that no political party is your hope, not for you, not for your family, not for your friends. Your hope is in King Jesus and his kingdom. That is what I'm saying. Imagine if you were Satan. That, that would be terrible. <laughs> But imagine if you were Satan and you wanted to use, you wanted to split up God's church, the church of Christ over the next three months. And you wanted to break it up in divisions and factions and ruin God's church. How would you do it? Wouldn't you use politics? I mean, and this is happening guys, where we reach out to our friends. We try to show them the love of Jesus. And we have a new friend come out to a family group or to a community. And a lot of times they're blown away. I've never seen love like this. That diversity, the age, the next generation, the, the commitment to King Jesus, this is incredible. And then they, they go, man, this, is, this doesn't exist in the world. This is truly an alternative to King. This is amazing. This is special. And that happens. But what Satan wants to happen is later that night, that new friend that first came out gets on our Facebook, her Facebook, and she sees two disciples that she met there And suddenly they're arguing and debating and biting and devouring and going at each other's throat, and the kingdom of God is nowhere to be seen. It's all over politics or our opinions. Then what happens to that new friend that we want to show the love of Christ to? Well, this is the same as the world. This isn't different. This isn't special. This isn't an alternative. No, God, just as much as Satan has a plan, God has a plan. Over the next several months, our light can shine brighter than ever. Over the next several months, we, we don't have to lose our saltiness. We can stay salty and be the flavor of this world to show them something so true that the kingdom is a true alternative to being a Democrat or Republican. It's an alternative. It's not something that you do side inside. Your allegiance is total. You can't serve two masters. Democrat isn't Lord. Republican isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's no man-made party, system, or empire that can be the kingdom of God. Only God can make his kingdom. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And I just want to go back to Matthew and uh, Simon. You know, Matthew had very strong views about Rome and Israel. But they weren't Jesus' views. The tax collector, I mean, Simon the zealot had very strong views about Judea and Jewish people and Rome, but they weren't Jesus's views. But when they came before Jesus and they made him Lord and gave their allegiance to him, they forfeited their views to take on Jesus's. And man, let all of us believe that saying Jesus is Lord is not lip service. It means something. It is our pledge of our allegiance to the kingdom of God that we are submitting to the rule and reign of King Jesus. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a couple practicals and we'll pray for communion. Some practicals on kingdom and politics. Number one, pray through your loyalties in this world. Pray and write and journal. Write out why you trust Jesus more than those loyalties in the world. Why did you first make that good confession that Jesus is Lord? Remember that. Read a book on kingdom, The Kingdom of God by Jones and Brown. They got three different volumes, pretty epic. And then Michael Burns' book I've been referencing, Escape the Beast. I strongly encourage you to read that over the next several months about kingdom and politics. Number three, pray for both party leaders. You know, 1 Timothy 2 1 says, Pray for your leaders and those who are in authority. Well, you might say, But I disagree with them. I don't want them in power. They're my enemies. Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for them. When you pray for both party leaders, you are claiming that your allegiance is to God and not to a political party. Number four, let me just talk about social media. If you're someone that gets riled up and hit, and, and I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm trying to help you. And even with all this, guys, I'm trying to figure it out myself. And there's, I had a conversation with a brother yesterday saying, man, I'm wrestling through some of these things. All this is to open up a dialogue so we can really figure these things out as God's holy people. But if you're someone that gets riled up on social media, I want to encourage you next time that you feel like you got to write something and, and let someone know what you think and really go at I want you to pause, pray, decide to love first. Make sure all of your comments filter through the, the, the lens of lifting up King Jesus instead of lifting up your opinion. Never post anything that would divide. Only post things that would unite God's people. And for some of us, we need to consider to just get off social media for a week or a month. Some of us need to go, you know what, I need a spiritual reset I need to to reclaim my allegiance as Jesus the King, whether it's on a political issue or something else. I just need to, I need to get away from all the noise and I need to reset my heart and I'm going to get off social media and maybe need to get off the news and decide I'm going to get off for a week just to reset my allegiance to the King. These are the practicals. What I'm going to do for us now is I'm going to pray for us um, through Philippians 2 that lifts up King Jesus as we prepare for communion. Father God, we are so grateful that we even have the opportunity to know about your kingdom. What a blessing, God, that we get to know who King Jesus is. And right now, as we take the wine, as we take the bread, we remember Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We remember that, God. And we remember that Jesus, even though he was found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God, we're so grateful for Jesus' humility dying for us on the cross. But God, as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, we're also in this time re-proclaiming and re-declaring in our mouths and in our hearts what you have done to lift up Jesus as king that therefore, God, you exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.